Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs, and today we're lucky enough to have Christian Diekman with us. And Christian is the Vice President of Strategic Growth at Cedar Fair Entertainment Company. As many of you know, Cedar Fair is a large amusement park company. They have about four amusement parks and have about a billion in annual revenue. So that's a lot of rides going on. And Christian has a super interesting role there, essentially how to grow their business. And that's not easy, as we all know, all the distractions that we have in life around entertainment. And Christian is especially interested in immersive technologies. So Christian went to Boston College for his undergrad and Wharton for his MBA. So let's just get right into it. Christian, uh, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Dave. Definitely appreciate it. And before we get uh, into what you're doing now, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so it's been a bit of a circuitous path to my current role, uh, but but all my positions have been focused on some combination of strategy, financial analysis, and building teams and organizations as well. So uh, I started out after Boston College in GE Capital's financial management program. It was a two-and-a-half-year rotational program, so I did stints in different business units uh, for GE Capital. And then I ended up working in Europe uh, for their internal audit staff uh, for about a year, based in Munich, Germany, but with coverage all over Europe. Uh, from there, I went on to, to Wharton, where I got my MBA. I also got a master's in international studies from uh, the Lauder Institute at the University of Pennsylvania as well. So it was a dual degree program, uh, but it was just a great way to round out my business acumen and just get to acquire a, an amazing, amazing network of people uh, that I've certainly stayed in touch with and both professionally and personally uh, s- since then. And then I went on to uh, be a management consultant at Bain & Company where I worked on just a, a wide array of projects. Uh, uh, and all, all the single threads through here is, is really strategy and uh, financial analysis. Uh, but I uh, got to work in industries like uh, doing due diligence for private equity companies, uh, working for an IT outsourcing company, working for a music publishing company, all, just all sorts of things. So that was a, just a, a really great experience. Interesting. And uh, with that experience or any of the earlier experience you had, was there one that uh, you especially interesting or like you learned a lot or you look back on like, man, that was really good? Yeah, you know, I think that the time I spent at Bain & Company was, was just great because it, it teaches you how to go into a, a, a new area where you might not have a lot of knowledge and figure out what you need to know and become a, an expert as quickly as possible uh, and really c- cut down to the core of the, of the key business challenges and questions. Uh, and so that, that, that that's just been a, a tool set that's been uh, immensely valuable in, in all the roles I've had since. And you know, including the role I've had at Cedar Fair, where you know we're looking at some, some new horizons here, so there, there's not a defined playbook you can always go to. So that that skill set's just been really helpful. Huh. And uh, well, I was going to ask how you kind of use that at Cedar Fair, but we'll get into that. Uh, so, I, and also curious, you know, what uh, I often ask, you know, if one of your past experiences was there one that uh, was kind of miserable or didn't work out or something that we're like, wow, next time I would have done that a lot different. Um, do you have an example like that? Yeah, Dave, I, I think, you know, we, we all have the benefit of, of, of hindsight. And <laughs> yes. There's definitely some things I would have done differently. Well, the way I try to approach it is to, to take each experience and, and 
you know, there, there's things that you do right and you learn from those. And then when you make mistakes, uh, you try to learn from those as well. So, um, you know, def- definitely I've I made my share of mistakes. And if, if, if you're, you're not falling down when you're skiing down the mountain, you're not, you're not getting to be a better, better skier. Uh, but I'd say, you know, all in all, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I have any major regrets. Nice. All right. Well, that's a good attitude. I like it. And, uh, all right. So can you, before we dive into more of your current role at Cedar Fair, can you give us an overview? I gave a, a super brief one, but give us an overview of the company. Yeah. So Cedar Fair, uh, we're a publicly traded company. Uh, our stock ticker is aptly named FUN, F-U-N. <laughs> uh, we have uh, 11 regional amusement parks in North America, uh, we do about 24 million guests a year uh, and, and a bit over a billion dollars in revenue a, a year. Uh, so, you know, really a, a huge company, and we are definitely a, a house of brands. So, you know, Cedar Point is, is branded differently from Knott's Berry Farm, is branded differently from Carolina, in North Carolina, uh, and South Carolina, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, it, it, if people aren't familiar with the industry, they, they may not have heard of us, even though they may, they may have grown up going to one of the parks. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really interesting thing about Cedar Fair. And I'll have to update the intro. I said uh, only uh, four. I I don't know how I got that number because I was like four with eleven uh, billion dollars. Like that doesn't. That's a lot of revenue per park. You wish you had a two hundred fifty million dollars per park um, in revenue. Yeah, so we <laughs> so we had the so we had the big four. Okay. Uh, which included Cedar Point, Canada's Wonderland, Knott's Berry Farm, and Kings Island. And now I, we talk internally about the big five uh, because we've invested a lot of money into Carowinds and the Carolinas. Uh, and that park's, uh, you know, really uh, doing well for us now, too. Okay. All right. And, and can you tell us about uh, your role you know, as the head of a VP of Strategic Growth? You know, kind of what are your priorities and focus areas? Yeah, so it's, it's been a really interesting role. Uh, so I, I end up looking at a lot of things, but I'd say, you know, really I end up spending a lot of time looking at areas that fit a little bit outside of our core business. Uh, so namely outside of our, our current footprint of, of the 11 amusement parks in North America. So, you know, that could mean looking at mergers and acquisitions opportunities, looking at international development opportunities, looking at ways to apply new technologies into our parks and, and new lines of business. So it's, it's really anything that doesn't fit with, with how we've been operating over the past several years. Uh, I end up uh, with, with, a, with a small team of other, of other people I, I, I work with a lot. Uh, we, we tend to spend time looking at those sorts of uh, uh, potential opportunities. Gotcha. Okay. And with your uh, Bain experience, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you first came into Cedar Fair, you know, what was your approach to kind of quickly learn the business and then kind of figure out a roadmap of what you should be working on and your focus areas? Yeah, so you know when we're when I was at Bain, we talk a lot about primary research and secondary research, right? So the secondary research is you know reports and, and information and that sort of thing. So you know I, I'd say I spent a lot of time looking externally at all the the different information that's out there, uh, like the you know the AECOM uh, attendance report that's out there and just, just all the analyst data that, that's out there on on the the industry and on the companies in the industry. Uh, and then I spent a lot of time just uh, doing a sort of a, a data hunt internally and, and trying to learn as much about the company through reports and metrics and presentations as possible. And then that, that covers really, you know, what I call the secondary research and the primary research is just talking to as many people as possible. So uh, getting to know the, the, the executive leadership team, getting to know the people at the parks, 
uh, asking them about their thoughts and the challenges and opportunities for the business. And then really having a lot of conversations with people uh, outside of the company too, uh, you know, who could be potential partners or, uh, or suppliers uh, down the road. And so our CEO used to joke that, you know, Christian would take a, a meeting with anybody. <laughs> and that really was my approach in the first few years because I, I just wanted to learn as much about everything that I could. And, and how long have you been with Cedar Fair for? So just shy of three years. Okay. Uh, so um, yeah, it's, it's but it's been a it's been a, a steep learning curve, but it's been really exciting. And this, this business gets in your blood like few other industries do. And, and why is that? Yeah, I think just the the opportunity to what I would say what I call three dimensionalize the product. Right, you you get out there and you, and you walk around the park and you see guests smiling, having a good time. Uh, it's really easy to get your head wrapped around it, uh, and so it, it's just so tangible in that regard. Yeah, I I would definitely be into it. I'd make sure I jump on a roller coaster each morning if possible. Um, I don't know if that's discouraged. Beats a cup of coffee. Yeah, way more effective than a cup of coffee. (laughs) Right. Uh, uh, So I'm curious, and and if you can uh, share, you know, when you first kind of came into Cedar Fair, you you had lots of discussions and a lot of analysis. You know, was there what was one thing that you're like, oh, we should really look into this. Like, this is pretty interesting. Um, that maybe you're working on now, or yeah. So I, I we had just uh, we're just launching a, a ride at Canada's Wonderland uh, that was a, a digital dark ride uh, built with a company called Triotech out of Montreal, and so it was really a ride meets a video game, and I I was just fascinated by that uh, that, that that the potential around that. Uh, you know, I, I, in my spare time, at least before I had kids, I, I used to be a fairly avid gamer. And so the ability to take digital media content and add interactivity to create a, 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 a very unique, immersive experience just uh, just really struck a chord with me. And, uh, you know, as you can see from some of the projects that we've been involved in over the past few years, like the um, the, the rides we launched with uh, Electronic Arts at Great America and at, at Carolyn's and some of the things that we're doing with uh, virtual reality and playing around with augmented reality, uh, I, I think you know, really the, the, the potential for digital media content and interactivity uh, is, is, is really interesting. Yeah, and you came at a perfect time because that was probably you know, 2013-ish and you know, the Oculus really hadn't come out that much and and so, I mean, were, was uh, Cedar Fair doing much with immersive tech before you got there? I think the main thing we were doing was was the, the uh, digital dark ride we were doing with Triotech. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, like you said, these, these technologies were so nascent around 2014 where, where I came on board. Okay. Uh, I don't think there was there was much focus there. And unless I say even today, Dave, I mean, there, there are just a host of challenges we're trying to, to sort through. You know, we've, we've done some projects with uh, putting virtual reality on roller coasters, uh, but uh, and guests love the experience when they get on, but a major, a major concern for us is when you're doing five, tens of thousands of people a day, mm-hmm. uh, you need to have high capacity on these rides. So uh, as, as amazing as virtual reality can be, uh, one of the challenges that we've dealt with is just you know, getting enough people for it to make it needle moving. And and how many people do you need on like it's like a, one of your popular roller coasters like on a busy day? How many people do you need to uh, need to go through that ride in a given day? Yeah, I mean a, a, a traditional coaster could be doing you know a thousand or north of a thousand people an hour. So that's wow. that's a really uh, that's a really high hurdle. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's. Uh, I, mean, I kind of want to talk about some of the technologies that you're experiencing, experimenting with at Cedar Fair, and it sounds like a lot of it's 
uh, VR and AR. And uh, can can you maybe describe a ride or two to the audience, like how it works? Because I'm sure a lot of people have not experienced VR and roller coasters. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll, I can talk a little bit about our uh, the VR uh, experience we added to Iron Dragon at Cedar Point. Okay. Um, so it's it, so depending on. Uh, what we're in the pilot, we were running it. We, we started out running one of the two trains that run on it with, with VR. Uh, so, you know, really in the evenings, we were running something we called Cedar Point Nights. And as part of that, you know, we had this whole VR experience. So, you know, you're waiting in line like you normally would. Uh, you get a Samsung Gear VR while you're, while you're waiting in line, uh, about to get on the ride. And then you get into the ride vehicle and you put on the headset. And we, then we make sure that the headset's working, that's, that, that the guest has got it strapped on properly not an extreme ride so there's really no risk of uh you know the, the headset flying off of you or anything like that we we, we spent a lot of time um uh, making sure that that uh we, we were very comfortable with with with, with the safety and health uh, um, potential around this but you know you put the headset on and you're riding a digital version of the ride you're riding the real ride and so you're getting the, the those visceral movements and feeling the G-force of the real roller coaster. Uh, but as you're looking around, you're seeing sort of the medieval um, landscape around you with with bats and ogres and dragons uh, <laughs> instead of uh, seeing what you, you naturally be seeing. And so it's really a mind-blowing thing, especially for people who have never done VR before. And we got you know we got really strong response from guests. Guests loved it. So. Uh, um, you know, that, that's, that's what we're doing. But as I mentioned, you know, one of the challenges is just getting people in and out of the, of the cars and getting the headsets off and sanitizing the headsets between usage. Oh, yeah. Um, those, those are some of the challenges. It just slows it down a little bit. Yeah. How would you sanitize? I mean, cause actually I've read different, uh, I do a fair amount of VR and I've read people talk about the different issues like motion sickness, which I'm curious about, but then also sanitation. Uh, how do you uh, sanitize a gear VR? That seems like with the straps and everything. Yeah, so, so most people uh, don't won't get motion sickness, or or at least okay. won't get uh, substantial motion sickness on the VR attraction because what what causes the the, the Ill, Ill feeling in VR is when your vestibular system is out of sync with what you're seeing, and so since the 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 ride animation is perfectly synced with the motion of the vehicle, you're not getting that offset. Um, so, so for the most part, people, most people do pretty well with that. Whereas in, in doing other types of VR experiences, they, they, they may feel uh, nauseous. Um, and then on the hygiene side, you know, we're, 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 you're just uh, using a, a cleansing solution uh, on the headsets and straps uh, in between usage. Gotcha. That's good. That's good. I was thinking about that when you're talking, like switching out. You know, you got a thousand people going through, but no, that makes sense. It's good you guys thought about that. Um, and so, you know, what uh, with this VR, what I mean, have you had other challenges besides, um, you know, the getting the headsets on or off? I mean, what about the? I know you're working with tech partners or with on those uh, on those applications, but is it hard to coordinate? to make sure that the timing's right or is that kind of the the easier part compared to the moving the headsets in and out well that, that that's the secret sauce we rely on our, our technology okay. partners for right so uh you know we've been working with your coaster uh, out of germany um who uh, have done a lot of these projects and, and they're very good at, at getting getting it all to work together um so we, we've been you know very excited about about that relationship 
Um, uh, and yeah, they've got they've got they've got the secret sauce that they use to to get it all to work. And do you want to um, use VR on all your coasters at some point, or at least have the option? I guess. I, for... I, I don't I don't think that's where where it'll end up. Um, you know, I think over time uh, people will figure out how to create a, a ride experience that incorporates VR and AR in, in, in more of a custom ride sort of way. I, I think the, you know, putting, putting this stuff on existing rides is really interesting. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's ultimately where it all ends up because there's just, there's a lot more you could do in theory if, uh, if these things were designed to work together. How, and uh, do you have some ideas around that? How, a, you know, if you design the coaster for VR, how, how would it be different? I mean, you could have more dynamic movement. I mean, I think you'd set out saying what what story or experience do we want to tell, uh, and then figuring out how to use a combination of uh, you know the, the digital uh, imagery and the, the, the movement uh, and speed of, of the track to tell that story. Gotcha. I mean, and you may not even be on a track. I mean, there's a lot you can do with motion simulation technology as well. That, that's what I was going to ask. And we, we've seen some. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. We obviously we we've seen some pretty compelling. Uh, concepts out there that you know combine uh, VR and motion simulation too. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about. You know, if this could uh, really reduce the potential footprint for some of these rides, and maybe the cost, at least from the, I mean, digitally it costs more, but from the, the hardware perspective, it'd be a lot less. I mean, could you open up more rides or create more um, parks around the nation because, you know, a lot more smaller parks like satellite parks because of this technology. So, I mean, we don't have any plans to do anything like that. I, okay. I, I do think you bring up an interesting point though, Dave, is, you know, with, with some of these changes to technology, um, there's really nothing between amusement parks and movie theaters, uh, that, that are, that are really, you know, compelling guest experiences. So, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of things out there like Legoland Discovery Centers and Kidzania internationally, uh, which are, you know, really sort of fit in a, in a retail or mall based environment. So could you see a smaller footprint, um, uh, type of, uh, type of entertainment experience out there, uh, that new technology enables, I think quite possibly. Okay. And, and I'm curious, you know, what, what's your uh, role with this, uh, some of these digital technologies, like pulling together a project. I, I saw you on some photo where you're opening up a ride, you know, with all the different partners and, you know, kind of, how are you, how are you involved from like beginning to end to make that happen? Yeah. So, uh, on a lot of the projects I've worked on, uh, you know, step one is identifying something that we think that's interesting to, to try out. And then, uh, really you sort of think through what the guest experience is and, and, um, you know, starting answering questions like, okay, how much do we think it's going to cost? Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, capacity before. So we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how many people, uh, can I get through this thing in an hour? Um, and, and, uh, you know, what's the creative concept? And so you start, start talking to partner, potential partners and, it's a very iterative process. So, you know, you may think cost is going to be one thing and then you talk to somebody and you're like, oh, but we really want to do that and it's going to cost this amount of money. So it's a really, it's a little bit of a Rubik's Cube figuring out the whole cost capacity guest experience thing, which is why it's an iterative process. And, and uh, again, I, you know, we, we found some really great partners to work with who, who help us figure all that stuff out. So I'd say, you know, from there, you, you, you try to build out a business case around, uh, you know, why this particular 
uh, project would be interesting. Uh, how are we going to monetize it? Is it going to be just something that we're uh, marketing to everybody at the park? Is it something that we're you know going to charge extra for or monetize in a different way? Is it something we're gonna, we're going to do um, you know sponsorship for? And then you know really talking through. Um, that that model with the rest of the executive team to see if it's something we want to do or not. How does it stack up against other priorities that we want to do? Because, uh, you know, like many things in life, you know, m- money's not infinite. So, you know, we've got to prioritize and pick and choose what we want to do. Um, and then, you know, if we get to something we're really excited about and we green light it, uh, it's bringing together the external and internal team to make it happen. Um, so again, you know, we've, we've relied a lot on external partners to, you know, sort of act as general contractors, but, you know, they may be bringing other parties to the table. So for example, the 3D Live, that's the uh, immersive 3D LED company that, that built the Mass Effect Ride Force at Great America. Uh, they brought on, uh, Halon Entertainment that they, they previous an animation shop to do all the, uh, cinematic, uh, work and digital animation. Uh, they brought on a company called Crescendo Media Engineering to, uh, to do the near and far field uh, sound technology that we put into the into the theater, uh, mediumation uh, provided the motion speed, uh, and and really you know 3D Live was the one that was spearheading all that. And and can you so, tell? Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say that that was a very well put uh, explanation. That was good. I mean, right? There's a lot of moving parts with all this, and you're trying to coordinate all the moving parts and talk to the stakeholders and the partners and, but that, that 3d, um, uh, 3d live project. Can you tell us what that's like? Yeah. So, uh, again, I, as I was alluding to, I mean, that there were a lot of partners involved yeah. uh, and then we had electronic arts who was a great partner as well. And we got a we had the opportunity to use their, their you know, fantastic mass effect franchise as the, IP and create a background for the story. Um, but so there was just a lot of iteration there. You know, I, I, we, I, I led weekly calls with, with all of the, uh, you know, main leaders of, of the park and from the, the, um, the different companies we were working with in electronic arts to, to, to go through status updates and see where we are. And then we, we split up into separate work streams, uh, around, you know, different categories like, uh, construction and, uh, animation content and, uh, how we're going to market, uh, and, uh, you know, build awareness around this thing. So, uh, uh, just, yeah, really a lot of moving parts. And it was, I mean, it was a great learning experience for me because it was the first time, uh, I'd ever really worked through a, a major theme park attraction. So it was just, it was just fascinating. And you know, the great thing is, you know, there's such a, a fantastic team at, at Cedar Fair, uh, both at corporate and at the park level to, to provide the support and make sure that, uh, you know, we, we, we were able to, to make this thing right. So it definitely didn't feel like I was out on my own. Uh, but, you know, in sort of spearheading everything, there, there was definitely a, a big learning curve, but it was a, a thrill in that. And, th- and that's more like a, a theater experience, right? The 3D. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, so it was a, we retrofitted an existing theater that used to house a, a Days of Thunder attraction uh, back in the, the Paramount Pictures days when that park was owned by Paramount, and uh, we, we put motion seats in there, and then we put the world's largest and highest resolution 3D LED screen in there, wow. uh, which is just this amazing technology. You get uh, better Z space, better clarity, color. Um, you know, depth, uh, and it's, it's just a real, real impressive uh, piece of technology. So you put that all together with a live actor. Uh, and so we thought it was important to have a live actor curate the experience. Uh, number one, it helps accentuate uh, the, uh, the depth coming out of the screen. 
So if you had projection-based 3D, you couldn't do it because you'd have a shadow behind the actor. But because the light's coming out of the 3D LED screen, uh, there's no shadow. And, and it just really helps accentuate. It's almost like a mixed reality thing where it looks like the performer and the 3D digital imagery are in the same um, physical space. Uh, and then number two, you know, it helps add, add a more dynamic element to it. So, you know, no two performances are going to be exactly alike. Hmm. Interesting. Good. All right. And so where, where do you look for like new ideas and come up with ideas like this? Do companies often approach you or you're seeking them out or? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a mix. So I'd say, you know, it's a lot of just uh, keeping up to date on what's going on in the industry and reading trade publications and daily newsletters and, uh, you know, looking for what is out there. And so a lot of times I've reached out to companies um, and then a lot of times they'll, they'll reach out to us. Uh, so it just, it just really depends. But, um, you know, uh, you know, a company like Alterface that we work with on the plans for zombies attraction to Carowinds, uh, you know, we had talked to them about some other projects, uh, but I, but I, I see their name uh, popping up a lot in the industry press. And so, you know, we, we, we spent some time and, 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 you know, crafted out a concept with them. And then 3d live, it was a, basically I met with another, uh, a company out at E3 back in 2014, and uh, this company was was really doing some VR stuff, and uh, they introduced me to the team at 3D Live. I went over for a demo. I was pretty blown away, and then we brought over um, our executive team to get a demo as well, and they were impressed too. And 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 really, you know, we over the course of the next six to nine months, we started kicking around ideas, and ultimately uh, got to to a concept we all felt excited about. Hmm. And and how do you uh? prioritize so you know it sounds like you're kind of the 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 master filter often for cedar fair for new projects but you know how do you personally decide whether to move up a project is it kind of a a gut feeling or do you talk with your team or executives every so often and kind of move up projects up and down based on kind of the overall analysis what's kind of yeah it's it's really a funnel right so if you're going to have you know, 20 or 30 ideas up there that are really in what I would call the ideation stage. It's, it's just sort of a concept. You're not sure if it's going to going to become anything. Uh, you start talking about those. You try to get your head wrapped around what you feel has the, the, the most application. You know, we have a lot of internal conversation. Is this something we want to move forward with or not? And so, you know, from there, you really start fleshing out the, the business plan and the cost profile and what that looks like. And sort of if you, if you, if you get to that stage and, and again, you, you sort of socialize it internally and see how everyone's feeling and see if there's buy-in. And then if, if, if you still have traction, right? So maybe if you had 30 projects to begin with, now you're down to, you know, five to 10 projects. Uh, so you really take a deep look at those five to 10. And then of those, you know, maybe you find one to two ideas that actually is going to turn into something. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just really a, a, a iterative, um, planning and vetting process. And, you know, like I said, you know, especially on, on sort of this new frontier stuff, you know, we, we got to vet it up against uh, other things that we're spending um, money on every year. So, you know, uh, it, it's because a lot of the time if, if, if we're to add something new to the, um, to the planning cycle and something else may have to come out. So it's, it's a lot of this conversation. Oh, that makes sense. And, and for augmented rally, are, are you thinking about, uh, or looking at to use on like a roller coaster or do you have other ideas how you might uh, use AR? 
So, you know, augmented reality we think is really interesting. Uh, similar to VR, we're not quite sure exactly what to do with it yet. But what we did do was we uh, created a, a, a game app experience oh, yes. for Cedar Point last year called the Battle for Cedar Point. And so it was a mobile phone-based uh, game that really gamified the, the park experience. So you know now you're, you're riding coasters, but you're getting points for it, and you get to contribute to uh, a, a coaster clan score. And at the end of the day, one of the coaster clans would would win uh, for the park, and it was tied into merchandise. And we had uh, augmented reality experiences. Uh, some of the media actually dubbed it you know, Pokemon Go for roller coasters. So you know, that was a really exciting first test with augmented reality. Um, you know, part of the challenge now is, you know, you've got a lot of stuff out there on the horizon, like the HoloLens and Magic Leap and um, uh, ODG, uh, another augmented reality device manufacturer, just raised a bunch of money. So there's a, there's a lot of tech that's really on the cusp here, uh, but it hasn't really uh, been commercialized yet. So I think, I think AR is one we're going to keep an eye on. And in the meantime, you know, much like Pokemon Go is very successful, uh, we think uh, augmented reality via mobile phone uh, has got some legs here in the short term. Gotcha. And you know, are you, we've talked a lot about kind of the immersive tech. Are you, are you looking at technologies outside of the digital realm at all to test out to bring in? Yeah. So, so a few things. I would say immersive can mean a lot of things. Uh, you know, we get always get hung up on the technology. Uh, but I think what's important to remember is, is first and foremost, we're trying to create a guest experience. And so we're trying to create an immersive guest experience. And so technology and different pieces of technology are really just tools in that, in that toolbox. Um, so there are things that you can do with live actor interaction. There are things you can do with physical theming and set design. Uh, the, you know, there are a number of ways you can create a, a deep immersive experience without just relying on technology. And I think really what the theme park industry does incredibly well is taking all these different ideas together to make a seamless and compelling guest experience. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of things that we're looking at uh, outside of uh, VR, AR, uh, you know, and, and 3D, that, those, those sorts of things. I mean, you look at our, our Halloween products across our parks, and uh, we do a huge amount of business in the month of October. And although, the, you know, there are some technology aspects to those attractions, you know, you go through one of our haunted house uh, mazes uh, for, for for haunt or not scary farm. It, it, I mean, it is. It's going to be one of the most immersive experiences you're going to have. And, mm-hmm. and it, there, you know, there's no VR or AR in there <laughs> now. You start thinking about what it could be like to add VR or AR on top of an experience like that. That gets really interesting too. Um, but uh, immersive experiences can can mean a lot of different things. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, we're almost done here, and I got a couple more questions. I, and maybe you've probably already answered it, but you know, I was curious if you kind of had a, a vision for amusement park in the future. And that's kind of a broad, maybe ridiculous question. Um, <laughs> but uh, and we've, yeah. t- we've touched on a lot of it, but. I don't know if you have a kind of a, you know, what what would be, how would the experience be different in uh, 10 years? I mean, we talked a lot about these digital tech, so maybe that's it. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, looking 10 out, 10 years out plus, I mean, it's really hard to say. I think one thing that, that, that the amusement park of the future will have though, is that it's in a lot of ways, it's going to look similar to the amusement park of today, at, at least the big regional theme parks and the, and the destination theme parks. So, you know, I don't think that's going away. It's going to be really hard to replicate what a, a roller coaster is like. Uh, it's going to be really hard to 
uh, create an experience like what Harry Potter uh, is, is doing, you know, at, at Universal and all, all the excitement that's got. Um, but I think there will be digital layers to the amusement park experience, and I think they will really be in two categories. So one is how technology will be used just to enhance the overall guest experience. Um, so, you know, that could be leveraging, you know, mobile phone technology. We've introduced a mobile app at most of our parks that has wait times and wayfinding and integration with our, with our uh, digital photo product and uh, in-park Wi-Fi. So there's going to be some stuff that's just enhances the overall experience. Uh, you know, maybe down the road, you know, you're going to be able to, to, to do mobile payment and things like that. You know, just similar to the great success that Starbucks has had with their, with their, uh, Starbucks app and using that as a payment, uh, method. And then the other category is, is really, you know, leveraging some of this new technology to create new types of guest experiences and entertainment experiences. And that's where things like VR and AR, interactivity, uh, 3D, that's where that comes in. And, and so I think, you know, these may be, there may be, there'll be attractions that are, built around those technologies, but I think there might also be a, a digital layer to the park. So, you know, maybe at some point you're going to have your own augmented reality device and you're going to walk through the park yeah. and uh, the, the, part, the entire park experience is going to be gamified by what you're seeing in, in your headset. And, you know, because we are in a, in a, a fixed physical location, you're going to be able to leverage that in a way that if you're just sort of walking around the park, like, you, uh, you know, the, the, um, the public park or the town square, uh, you know, where let's say something like Pokemon Go got used, it'll be hard to, to do that. So, uh, you know, really hard to say. And then I think, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, there may be smaller entertainment models, um, you know, really leveraging on some of the challenges that, that, that malls and retail are having. And these mall operators looking for ways to get people back into the, into the mall. And so I think entertainment, uh, could, could, could help facilitate that. So things like Legoland, Discovery Centers and, and Kidzania and other models could be interesting as well. Yeah. Well, that's a good vision. And uh, the last question, I'm just curious: do you uh, do you get to visit many uh, amusement parks, whether it's Cedar Fair or outside of Cedar Fair? You know, you mentioned like the Harry Potter. Like, do you get to? Are you, do you get to visit all these? Yeah, I, I you know I do. You know, I I, I get out to, to all of our parks on on a fairly regular basis, uh, and then you know we we do go to other parks and check them out and see what the competition is up to. And uh, so I get to do a lot of things in the under the shield of uh, you know market research that uh, most people would would be loving to do in the free time. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm a bit jealous. I think. Uh, what uh, is there? If there is one ride that you had to ride every day for the rest of your life. Which one, which ride would that be that you've been on? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I, I think I would, I, I'm not going to name a specific ride, but right. I think, I think a ride that, is, you know, is, is, that would be dynamic and, and have some repeatability on a daily basis. So it's not the same thing every time. Mm. Um, and I think that, that would be something that, that would be exciting about. And that's, that's a question we ask a lot of the time, how repeatable is an experience? Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's a good way to end the podcast and, uh, this has been great. Christian, definitely appreciate your time and hearing about your experience and what you've all done. It's uh, yeah, you have a pretty interesting job and, you uh, explained it quite well, Joe, so I definitely learned a lot, so I appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everyone.